Blog Talk Radio. Paleo Hebrew. 
I am your host this morning, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapah, man. Welcome to the show, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Bible Talk. I want to send shouts out to my brother in righteousness, (laughs) Brother Mashaba, man. Shalom, uh, shouts out also to our affiliated schools, the brothers here in San Antonio under a war, uh, the brothers in VA under the brother Kazakia, the brothers in H-Town under Quartazop, and the brothers up in Rochester, New York under the brother Zainala. Also sending shouts out to our brothers and sisters in Canada, California, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, shouts out to Kawakab down in Guatemala, y'all. I hope everybody is healthy, man, especially during this resurgence of the cocoa, the COVID, uh, excuse me, the coronavirus back in effect, hitting everybody up. Um, but I hope everybody is healthy. hope everybody's safe. hope everybody had... Uh, Good weekend, the Tawab weekend, the Tawab Shabbat. Um, man, I thoroughly enjoyed myself on Friday, last Friday, um, Friday evening. We were celebrating uh, the memorial, the blowing of the trumpets, man, which the Most High commands us to do in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. But, man, I thoroughly enjoyed myself um, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, um, that I don't see as often anymore, man, because of, you know, changes of life, schedules, um, things of that nature. Uh, But this is definitely the time, man, to come back because um, we haven't been together or had a feast day since, and we didn't even celebrate um, Pentecost this year. Not to my recollection, anyway. I don't remember celebrating. Did we celebrate Pentecost? We didn't have a feast for Pentecost. We just skipped right over it, um, sadly to say. Uh, but my point bringing this all up, man, when you read Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, there's a big gap in High Holy Days, man, from um, the last, because we have several High Holy Days, so... Of course, we know Passover. Passover is in the springtime. But even matter of fact, let me back up before we even get to Passover. Well, I guess I'll do that work. So Passover is in the springtime. There's Passover. Then um, Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread is on the same day. Um, then after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we go seven Sabbaths from the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known um, as First fruits, first fruits, seven. So seven Sabbaths from Feast of Eleven Bread is first fruits, also known as Pentecost. So uh, Passover in the springtime, uh, Eleven Bread, springtime. Uh, by the time we get to Pentecost or first fruits, we're well into the summer months. And then we take a long break where we don't have any other high holy days going on until the fall, 
which would bring us into what's the happenings now, the High Holy Days now, the memorial of the blowing of the trumpets, which is, like I said, and it's a long, extensive break. So we go all summer without having any feast um, and not seeing each other, man. So that would be our first memorial of the blowing of the trumpets. We'll be blowing the trumpets together, all the people, to summon all the people back, man, to fellowship again, to be around each other. Um, I know a lot of camps, uh, a lot of congregations, a lot of assemblies, they do uh, honor the new moons, uh, whether they uh, do it as a Sabbath or they just do it as a gathering, man. And that's something I would like to explore, man, to do more often, just so we could see and be around each other a lot more, man, to start celebrating uh, and recognizing those new moons. The new moon is symbolic of the new month, y'all. Like I say, some brothers say it's the Sabbath. Others say it ain't. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I do like the idea of uh, seeing each other once a month, you know, just to catch up, just to see what's going on, man, uh, so we could, you know, have our posts on each other, man. You know, the Scripture says that iron sharpens iron. And the scripture also says that uh, know the state of thy flock, man. You know, and it also says to know those that labor amongst you. We should know what's going on on the day-to-day with everybody, man, so we're not hearing stuff and it's like, man, this is news, man. I didn't know this, you know, because a lot of these times when we find out this unknown information because we haven't seen or talked to each other in a while, we're finding out that we could have been somebody that helped this person in their time of need, or vice versa. You know, and it's sad that us as Israelites, as family, you know, and I say this time and time again, we loosely refer to each other as brothers and sisters, loosely. But it shouldn't be that. It should be legitimate, this is my brother, this is my sister. But my point in saying all of this is that it's sad that a lot of times us as Israelites have to go outside of Israel for help. I have to go outside of Israel to get something done when we could have got it done within our own community, whether it be local or statewide or international. Because there are brothers and sisters that are abroad that can help us with certain issues and problems that we may, may have over here on the, in the state side, man. It's all about networking, man. Just I want to give my advice, man. Don't put yourselves in a box. You know, this is something that um, I started pondering on after the split that we had here in San Antonio. I didn't want to keep putting myself in a box. And what I mean by that is this. There are more people living this truth than what's in your local vicinity in your local area or whatever camp that you may be in, man, whatever assembly you may be assembling with, there are more Israelites abroad, (laughs) y'all. We are not the only people that's walking this walk, man. You better just go on YouTube. Just do a little bit of research. Go on Facebook, social media, any social media you might have. Go on and just take a look. Israel is waking up and has been waking up for quite some time, and you and your congregation is not the only people that's doing this. (laughs) 
is not the only people that's trying to walk righteously in this thing we call the truth, man. Don't put yourself in the box. Extend yourself. Be sociable to all Israelites because we're not going to get out of here as camps, as acronyms. We're going to get out of here collectively as a nation, the nation of Israel, man. Everybody just keep that in mind, man. Don't put yourself in the box. Hold on for a second, y'all. I need to stir this tea up. Hold on. Yeah, y'all, I'm back. I'm on my soapbox a little bit, man, but what I'm speaking is facts. It's real, man. Remember when Christ sent the disciples out, man? He told them to go to all nations. And I'm not saying this. I'm not on no Gentiles going to make it type of crap. We know that Israel's been scattered through all nations. My point in saying this is that there are Israelites everywhere. Everywhere, y'all. Not just in your own little city, your own little town, man. We got to wake up, man. Stop boxing ourselves in. I think that's, just, that's one of the things that uh, perturbs me about Israel the most, how we be in a box, man. We don't want to gather and reach out to other camps, other brothers and sisters, man. Anyway, let's uh, let's get Romans. I'm sorry, not Romans. Let's get Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, let me read verse 9. Let's get it in context. It says, uh, matter of fact, let me start at verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then he goes into how we're supposed to pray. My point in bringing this all out, y'all, is because here's Yahushai, who the world calls Christ, giving us very distinct directions on how to pray and what we need to be praying for. Now, notice in the prayer, he was talking to all of Israel. He was originally talking to his disciples, but ain't his disciples Israelites? <laughs> so this applies to all of us, y'all. And this is the prayer we need to be sending up on a daily so we collectively as a nation can get the hell on, man, can get the hell on. I don't want to plan to be here. You know, I know the scripture says, where no vision is, the people perish. But, man, I really do not want to make plans to continue being here in America, man, continue being here in this present world, man, this present demonic, evil world, as the scriptures call it, man. I don't want to keep making plans to be here. I don't want to sit through no more damn graduations for my children. 
or any other brothers, sisters, children. I don't want to have to be planning for no damn college tuitions and all this other mess. I don't want to. I don't want to have to do none of that. Man. I'm ready to get the hell on. Everybody has to be on the same page, man. We cannot just be comfortable here in this jacked up world, man. Let's get Psalm chapter one eighteen and verse twenty four. Psalm chapter 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So, good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it, the most high bring you through it, and you come out better on the other side because of it, y'all. Please believe me. All right, y'all. So, last week, man, and I want to apologize to y'all. I wanted to get some more health information because I'm going to start a segment, man, where I deal with health. Just a little small, little corner of the show, you know, because health is very important, man, especially as we age, man. Uh, But I want to apologize. I didn't have time to get into that, but I'm definitely going to start getting into it. And y'all be doing it anyway, man. But I implore y'all to continue to do so, man. You have any health uh, concerns, any information you need about health? I don't know everything, y'all, but I know quite a bit, and um, I love to share, man. I love to share because I love my people, man. I truly do. And remember, y'all, it's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a place of love. I know a lot of people <laughs> had their jaws tight at me last week. <laughs> When I was going through uh, the benefits of exercise and whatnot, it's coming from a place of love, y'all. So I didn't have time to uh, put anything together dealing with health, but I will give y'all this. If you are on a weight loss journey, if you're trying to drop some LBs, of course you should move. Of course you should move. I want you to move. Movement is good. Like I said last week, our bodies were not designed to be sedentary. I'm going to give you all this, though. Um, You're trying to drop some weight. Move, of course. Also, drop your calories, man. Drop your calories down. Drop your caloric intake down. All right? So this is how you would do that. Most diets and most uh, packaged labels that you read on food is based on a 2,000-calorie diet anyway. So in order for you to drop some LBs, drop some pounds, I want everybody to do this. You put 2,000 in your smartphone, your calculator, whatever, and I want you to put your weight in. Put your weight in. And subtract your weight from the 2,000 calories, all right, that you got. And whatever number you come up with, that's going to be your caloric deficit. What that means is you're not going to eat over that amount of calories, okay, y'all? And I want y'all to do this. Do it for about six months, okay? Do it for about 
six months. And if you need help, because this is calorie counting, y'all. I know everybody hates to hear that. I got to count my calories. So these apps these days have made it easy for us to do so. App out now, there's several of them. But I'm going to give you all the two that I've used personally because they work. Um, the first one is called Lose It. You may have heard of it. Um, the second one is called My Fitness Pal. Okay, My Fitness Pal. It's P-A-L. I'm spelling it out because I tell people this, and I guess my Missouri accent gets in the way, and they cannot fully understand what the hell I'm saying. So My Fitness Pal, P-A-L. Those are the two apps that will help you count your calories. Now, when you go in, you don't have to put your weight in and all the other stuff that they're asking you for because you already know your caloric deficit. So there's a way you can go in to these apps and just put your caloric deficit in and just track your food. These apps, are they work great, y'all. You just go in. You type in the food that you that you are consuming or you think about consuming, and it will give you the calories that are in that food, or it'll come damn pretty damn close to the uh, caloric intake or caloric uh, properties of these foods. Do this, like I said, y'all, for about six months, okay? And I'm saying only six months because calorie counting. It can wear on you. It gets old, y'all. There's nothing that you want to do for the rest of your life. Do it short term. But if you just do it for six months, y'all, just six months out of your life, that's not a long time, y'all. Do it for six months in order to establish a routine. And while you're doing that, the six months, if you may be new to exercising or you just absolutely hate exercising, I'm going to ask that you do three to four days of walking, all right? Just three to four days of walking. That's it, for one hour, just for one hour. In six months, look up and see if you see any changes in your weight, any changes in your health. I promise you, y'all, y'all will feel better. Feel better, look better. And it's not excessive. You know, it's not too hard. It's something that's very, I'm not going to say easy, but I am going to say simple. Because simple and easy are not the same words. They don't have the same meaning. Something is simple in concept, but it's not easy to apply. All right? That's the difference between simple and easy. All right, y'all. So that's the little help corner for the day. Now I want to go ahead and jump into the news. If it's your first time tuning into the show, I usually do about an hour, sometimes more, sometimes less, dealing with the news. Um, and then I get into the topic at hand. Hold on, y'all. I'm sorry. Yeah, then I get to the topic at hand. The title is Never Wax Tail, Christ and His Passion, Part 5. Yes, this is a series I've been working on for quite some time, uh, entitled Never Wax Tail, man. 
the water Meshaba for hooking everything up. So uh, we are the people of the book, the, the Hebrew Israelites, Hebrew being our language, Israelite being our nationality. And we have proved this and continue to prove this and pride ourselves in proving this uh, historically by using biblical uh, records as well as uh, secular records, history books, things of that nature to prove that's who we are, y'all. So let's go ahead and get it started. This article I'm going to read, y'all, is from the St. Louis Postage Batch, our home city. Uh, and the headline reads, in policy change, Missouri to bar people from ordering books for prison inmates. Yep, you heard it right, y'all. They are now barring, matter of fact, they just passed it, passed the law in Missouri to where you can't send books to your loved ones no more, man. Yep. Hold on, y'all. So Kansas City, Missouri, family and friends will no longer be able to order books for people incarcerated in Missouri prisons. Missouri's policy already requires loved ones to order materials to be sent directly from a bona fide vendor approved by the state. <laughs> Y'all hear this? The state has to approve the vendor that you're trying to send your loved ones books from. Can you say monopoly? Can you say control? It says the new, more restrictive policy goes into effect September 25th. Instead of ordering reading materials from an approved vendor, friends and family will need to add funds to a prisoner's account. The person will then be able to order a book through the DOC's vendors. So you can't even, like, order, like, say you order a book from Amazon and have it sent to the prison. You can't even do that no more. You have to put money on your loved one's account and then, I guess, tell them the book you want, and then they have to find a vendor to send that book. Well, what if the vendor don't have the book? Now, I guess your relative won't get the book, huh? And then, not to mention... You got to pay to put money on your people's books. This is a cash grab as well as other things I'm going to get into in a little bit. It says Missouri Department of Corrections spokesman Karen Pojam said the change was made in an effort to stop drugs from entering facilities. She also said prisoners will have regular access to ordering books and that the availability of books would not change. <laughs> I don't know how you figure that. Um, it says, but incarcerated Missourians and advocates say the department's action is a punitive measure that doesn't address how drugs are actually getting in. So they're using the disguise of, okay, we're trying to keep the drugs out of the prison to keep people from reading books. And this is the momentum that this society as a whole has picked up. Uh, just trying to dumb people down, man. Dumbing people down. This goes hand in hand with uh, them writing history out of American history 
and I'm talking about the atrocities that were committed by our white counterparts that we, we loosely refer to as white, but they're really a shade of red. Uh, their biblical name is Esau, the Edomites. So this goes hand in hand with what they're trying to do, man. They're, they're, they're effectively, and I say effectively, dumbing people down, especially the children. Now they're getting the prisoners who, unfortunately, a lot of them are children. A prisoner at Jefferson City, I'm reading on an article, y'all. A prisoner at Jefferson City Correction Center who did not want to be identified out of fear of retaliation, rightly so, said he has received books from family members over the 10 years, I'm sorry, over the years he has been incarcerated. Most have been religious in nature. And everybody knows this. Our people... That's when they find the most high, when they go to jail, man. <laughs> Everybody get religious, get righteous when they go to prison. Some of it be authentic, some of it not so. And I'm saying this speaking from experience, man. I've, I've got family members and loved ones that has, uh, have been incarcerated, and they've got religious. When they was in there, but when they got out, it was a whole other story, man. It says, reading is a good pastime, he said. People in prison, he continued, don't have a lot of privileges, and the state seems to be chipping away at them. In July 2022, the Department of Corrections stopped physical mail. Damn, I didn't know that. They stopped physical mail. Letters were sent to a facility in Tampa, Florida, where they are scanned and sent electronically. What the hell? Wow. And they call them criminals. This is criminal within itself. So you intercept people's mail and you change it and put it in electronic format. And I know they're taking stuff out, man. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of what they did to the Bible. <laughs> they collected our scrolls, and then they took out and added stuff they wanted to add in, mixed it with religion. Now we have a bunch of uh, churches who don't know what the hell they're talking about, but all using the same book as the Bible. Crazy, man. So they take take the inmates' letters, and they send them to what sense does that make? This is why, you know what? If y'all got loved ones, you got folks in jail, now you can understand why it takes so long for y'all letters to get to them. This is why. They got a damn third party reading your mail, man. That's an invasion of privacy, man. Wow. I feel for for brothers and sisters who have uh, mates that are locked down, man. They reading y'all very uh, intimate letters. That's messed up, man. It says uh, Laura Brinkley Rosenstein. These fake Jews, man. I should have known they were involved. Oh, wait a minute. She's she's advocating for them. It says Laura uh, Binkley Rosenstein an associate professor at Duke University, an expert on health and prison systems, 
previously told the star that change was not scientific or evidence-based. It's not stopping drugs coming in the building, she said, and it's serving relation. I'm sorry, it's severing relationships, which has a very negative impact on people's health. Yes, man, this is a mental health issue. The Kansas City, but you know what, again, too, this just goes to show that the American so-called rehabilitation rehabilitation facility, also known as prisons, are not trying to rehabilitate no damn body. Rehabilitation is not their objective. Their Their objective is what Esau's objective is always, the bottom line. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's talking about the money. It's talking about the cash flow. It's talking about profit. Profit, profit, profit. Hell with humanity. The hell with trying to rehabilitate some people so they don't keep coming back into the system. No, because they want people to come back. It's a money grab. That's why even when you get uh, put on parole or probation, you got to pay what's known as restitution. You got to pay monthly on your restitution. It's all about money. So whether you're in jail or you're out of jail, but you're tied to jail by ways of ankle monitors or maybe you got to see a PO or your probation officer, you still on lock and they still getting paid. Well, you know, the Kansas City Area Organization Liberation Lit has been sending people who are incarcerated in Kansas and Missouri books since early 2021. Last year, prisoners received more than 400 titles they had requested based on their interests. Co-founder Dylan Pales said the new policy in Missouri is the de facto book ban. This is his quote. Really, what this does is it puts the burden of the residents themselves to get money from their loved ones if they want to pay for a book, which adds to fees for sending money. He said, I told y'all you got to pay for that. It makes it increasingly higher for people to access books. I'm sorry. It makes it increasingly harder for people to access books. Paley's added that reading materials or a lifeline, if they are, as well as educational tools, and that prohibiting them to be sent for a birthday or other occasions feels cruel and unusual, but that's what the American penal system is, cruel and unusual punishment. That's what it's always, this is what it's built on. It says um, Antoine Johnson, who is also incarcerated in Jefferson City, said that when things that bring prisoners hope are taken away, they're more likely to turn to drugs. Duh. You're taking all hope away. You're taking their escape away, man. I'm a reader of books, man. I love books. I I get my kids into books, to reading, man. Reading is definitely fundamental. It's very important. If you can't read, man, you're going to be lost. And was having this conversation with uh, my wife the other day, uh, Samakia, our son, 
had brought home a permission slip. Apparently, they're sending permission slips home with children now before they can read certain materials. They're reading this book known as The Outsiders, man, titled The Outsiders. Good book, uh, good movie. Read the book, uh, seen the movie. The book is better, but as this is my point, too, as we all know, the book is always going to be better than the movie. Why? Because your imagination is always better than the movie. That's why the book is always better than the movie. But my point in saying this and what this brother just said, you cutting off people's lifeline, cutting their hope off, because you can escape in the book no matter where you are. You can get you can get so engulfed in that book that you lose sense of time, you lose sense of reality for a little bit, and your imagination just gets to run wild, man. What could be more powerful for uh what could be more powerful than having that for somebody who's incarcerated, man, because they're needing the most to escape their situation mentally, spiritually. All right, read no, he says he also said the Department of Correction wants to wants to blame drugs on everything but the real situation. <laughs> like they always do. A prisoner at I can't pronounce this Chili Chili Chope Correctional Center said it's a bad policy. It's not how most contraband gets in anyway. You hear this, right? And I don't know if you knew most contraband get in through the damn guards. Most contraband come in through the guards, man. I guess I could read the rest of this. Hold on, y'all. I lost my place. Many, including groups like Missouri Prisoner Reform and the MacArthur Justice Center, believe prison staff should be more closely monitored when it comes to drugs getting inside facilities. Duh, you don't say. The department does not have data on how many books have been found laced with drugs. So if you don't have data on it, then why are you just going to target the books as the main way that the drugs is getting in if you don't even know how many damn books y'all found with drugs in it? It doesn't even make sense, which shows you that this is not the agenda. The agenda, like I said, is to dumb people down. You dumb people down, you make people docile, then when you issue your martial law, then there's less resistance. And I personally believe that the prisons are a testing ground for society as a whole. That's my personal belief. It says, uh, where am I? The Department does not have data on how many books have been found laced with drugs. But Paul Jam said this summer correction officers this summer, correction officers discovered a book with blank pages that were soaked in the drug K2 and a book with 52 suboxy strips in its mind. 
Since last fall, multiple cell searches have uncovered many magazines and book pages that have tested positive for synthetic drugs, including methamphetamines. She said in some cases they were discovered only after an officer was found unresponsive. I'm sorry, after an offender was found unresponsive after ingesting or absorbing the substance. Uh, Through the first half of this year, 69 people died under the Missouri Department of Corrections Watch. Of the known cases of death, 72.3% were classified as natural. 19.1% were accidental. 6.3% were a result of executions, and 2.1% were suicides. All of the accidental deaths were from overdoses, Pojam said in July. She also said the department is addressing substance abuse issues by expanding treatment options as well as access to Narcan, which can reverse an opioid opioid overdose. So they got all these stats, but they don't have statistics of drugs coming in through books. Hmm, you don't say. No, nah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Anyway, with that, y'all. Let me get scriptures that I had to do with this. Let's go to Amos chapter 8. We're going to read verse 11, y'all. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And we in those days right now, y'all, there is a famine of hearing the most high's words. Cause remember, y'all, it says that they taking away the inmates' ability to read. What is the first book you think they're gonna target? The Bible. What did the brother say in the article in his quotes? He said that he had received material from his family during the years of his uh, stay at the correctional facility, and he said most of them were religious books. Esau wants us to lose our soul. Esau wants us to be spiritualists, to be non-spiritual. Esau, the so-called white man, wants us to not to have hope. Remember, y'all, the more they can defile us, the more they separate us from the most high. The other nations know who our power is. They know who we are. But they have to go through extreme measures. And they don't care if they get some of their own. They eat their own anyway. They don't care if it affects some of their own. As long as they get us. Because you ask yourself, I ain't done the stats, but do I really need to, y'all? Who are the people that populate the penal system in high numbers? It's black and brown people. This is not a coincidence. No, I ain't no conspiracy theorist, none of that crap. These are facts. When you got facts, that's proof. When you got proof, then guess what? That's the truth. Truth is something that's proven. 
But the Most High even told her that he prophesied this, man. Let's get Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52, man. I'm sorry, 42. Isaiah 42, we're going to start at verse 22. It says, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. Who is the this? It's talking about us. I'm going to prove it. Let me jump to the verse 1. It says, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delighted. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. The him, the servant, is us. It's the Israelites, man. This is consistent with the narrative of the Bible. Verse 22 again. But this is the people robbed and spoiled. Talking about us, the Israelites. We've been robbed. We've been spoiled, man. And this is what's wrong with us as a people. We think that somebody owes us something. We think the most high owes us something. We think the most high is just going to hand us something and we ain't going to work for nothing, man. This is a, a misconception, y'all. The Most High does not owe us anything. He's out of the generosity of his heart, giving us the mercy and the grace that we now have. Remember, we killed his son, our Savior, Yahweh Shai. We deserve everything we've been through. That's a fact. Y'all go back and read the Bible. See how many of our kids we killed. See how many idols we've worshipped. See how we look, just look at how we treat each other. Even to this day, how we treat each other. And I'm talking about Israel that know they're Israel and Israel that don't know they're Israel. How many camps been fighting each other on street corners? Come on, man. We still That's still a major problem amongst our people, hatred. One of the main reasons we're in captivity. Read this again, Isaiah 42 and 22. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. Duh. Who, could this, who else could this be talking about? To be hid in prison houses. It says they are for a prey, and none deliverance for a spoil, and none said restore. And I want to send shouts out to all the brothers who are doing the prison ministries, y'all. Shouts out to all you brothers that are reaching out to those brothers and sisters. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord? The Most High did this, man. The reason you in prison is because the Most High has his finger on you. The reason we're in poverty is because the Most High has his finger on us. The reason the curses of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, is because the Most High has his finger on us for disobedience. Rightly so. I'm working with my children right now on just being obedient. Because I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, a lot of times the children ain't going to comprehend the Bible. They ain't going to get the Bible. Does this mean we don't read it to them and have them read it? No, it does not mean that. But what you need to focus on when they're too young to understand the concepts of the book, focus on them being obedient. 
All right, verse 24. Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned. For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law, man. This is us all day, every day. I'm going to pray for you brothers on lot. Like I said, man, shout out to all you brothers that are doing your prison ministries. Please keep up the good work, man. Your work is appreciated and loved, brothers and sisters. All right, let's go to this next one, man. Now, this is in Nigradom. This is the nigger news, y'all. Nigradom. This is from all hip hop. And I'm covering this because. I'm I'm sick of hearing about this mess because it seems like this is all everybody wants to talk about, man. It says, what really happened with Jenny Moss and Jeezy's divorce? So if you haven't been listening, if you ignore social media and you don't get into niggerdom, this rapper, Young Jeezy, married this Moabite chick And now they're getting divorced. And this is a quote. I don't know how recent or current this quote is that she made. She says, I loved black guys. For me, dark meat on the side. White keeps me mean and lean. That's why marry a white. That's what I like, Jenny Ma. So this quote, she's saying, she keep us some dark meat on the side, but to look presentable in the public and to make it in America, get you a white boy. <laughs> All right, it goes on. It says, after just two years of marriage, rapper Young Jeezy, Jay Wayne Jenkins, and TV host Jenny Ma have filed for divorce. While their split has been wildly covered in the media, a close a closer look at their relationship reveals a complex web of reasons behind their decision to part ways. One significant factor contributing to the breakdown of their marriage appears to be their vastly different lifestyles. Jenny Ma, a prominent figure in the entertainment industry, resides in Los Angeles, where she deeply where she's deeply immersed in Hollywood scene in the Hollywood scene. On the other hand, Jeezy, known for his low-key nature, resides in Atlanta, focusing primarily on his businesses, ventures, and occasional tours. This geography separation led to them living two distinct lives, running in different social circles, and having diverse sets of friends and cultural backgrounds. Cultural pet. You don't say. The cultural background part... (laughs) Is essential to you being with someone. You know, to use that old school saying that mothers would tell their sons, if she can't bring my comb, don't bring her home. (laughs) A cultural background, your race, your ethnicity, ethnicity, 
is imperative in your relationship. And that being because this person can relate to you. This person can relate to your struggle. This person can relate to when you come home and you start talking about your boss and how your boss is discriminating against you because of your color and your boss is not the same color as you or the same ethnicity as you. You can relate to your mates when they come home with this. When y'all have children and your child comes home, come home, and your child is expressing to you how they've been discriminated against because of their race, you can relate to this. You can relate to your child. But if you marry outside your race, you can't relate to these things, to these issues. Y'all won't have these things in common. They will be foreign. They're so... Therefore, putting a risk between the relationship. Let me read you all this, man. The Bible expresses everything I'm saying. Let's go to Tobit. Go to Tobit chapter 4. And let's start at verse 12. Beware of all whoredom, my son, and chiefly take a wife of the seed of thy fathers. Meaning what? Somebody who look like you, think like you, act like you, has the same mannerisms as you, can relate to the plight that you've been through because they've been through and currently going through the same thing. It says, and take not a strange woman to wife. Jeezy, what do you have in common with chopstick, rat, cat, dog, eating, flat up and down, physique, Moab? What what you got in common with that, homie? I've said this countless times, man. I said, there's nothing attractive to me about Asian women. Nothing. Yeah, they age well. Yeah, some of them are pretty, but they're not attractive. I like some curves. I like some things I can hold on to. Yeah, I like a, I love a slim waist, but I got to have a bump at the end of that waist. I'm going to read this again, verse 12. And then, too, man, the Atlanta brothers are different. Those Atlanta brothers are different. Tobit, chapter 4, verse 12. Beware of all whoredom, my son, and chiefly take a wife of the seed of thy fathers, and take not a strange woman to wife, which is not of thy father's tribe, for we are the children of the prophets. No, it's talking about Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, my son, that our fathers from the beginning, even that they all marry wives of their own kindred. See how important is this? This dude had to go so far back. Man, look at our ancestors. This is what he's telling his son. He says, and we're blessed in their children. 
Why were they blessing their children? Because there wasn't a conflict of interest because my child is half black and half Chinese or black and or whatever the hell you want to call it. Look at the nigga Tiger Woods. What did he come out and say? I'm black and are you making up a nationality because you don't you want to be anything other than being black? This is how our people are, man. It's 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 not enough that we've been whitewashed by society, think that everything good is white to where we actually want to assimilate and be white and look at everything as being dark of or black as bad. To where now we want to slam our nose up because we got the big bell pepper nose. Or we don't want to have big lips no more. We want to bleach our skin. We want to have put throw the damn contacts in our head so we can have the blue eyes or the gray eyes or whatever. Because being who we are is just not good enough because society has taught us that it's not. You have a mixed up child, now you got issues. Child don't know who they are. They don't know which side to identify with more. It says, and we're blessed in their children. How do your children get blessed? You pick a woman from your own nation. And don't get it twisted, y'all. When he's talking about your own tribe, he's talking about your own nation. And our nation consists of a lot of different looking people. And I'm saying this because we get a lot of sisters that be mad when brothers choose Issacharite or nine and a half women women from the Latin-speaking tribes or our so-called Native American sisters. A lot of black, a lot of Judite women be mad, got their damn jaws tight. But it's from our nation. It's still within our nation, so what's the issue? We know. And their seed shall inherit the land, verse 13. Now, therefore, my son, love thy brethren. And despise not in thy heart thy brethren. So love your people. Don't despise your people. Now listen to this. The sons and daughters of thy people and not taking a wife of them. For in, for in pride is destruction. So listen to what he's telling. Let me read it again. Now therefore, my son, love thy brethren and despise not in thy heart thy brethren. He says, don't despise your brothers. How do you despise your brothers? How do you show openly you hate your people? He says, the sons, of, and the sons and daughters of thy people and not taking a wife of them. This is how you show your people that you hate them. You don't marry a wife that looks like your people, that looks like you. This is how you show them you hate them, and not and this is talking about all people, including who? Your parents. Your parents. I can only imagine how his mama felt when he talking about he married Ching Chong. Like, what? Huh? We That's what we're doing now? What they do that? This shows how much you really hate your people, man, when you go and you marry a nation and you have kids with this nation. Now, listen to what the angel had to remind Tobit of in Tobit. Let me see, man. Uh, Chapter 6 and verse 15. He said, 
Then the angel said unto him, this Tobit's uh, son Tobias, Doest thou not remember the precept which thy father gave thee? Thou shouldest marry a wife of thy own kindred. <laughs> He's reminding him. You see how important this is, man? I live, man, I told y'all before, I live amongst the whites. I see a whole bunch of what my wife referred to as gray babies <laughs> walking around. And I'm talking about brothers out here with Edomite ribs and sisters out here with Edomite husbands making these gray babies. These kids don't know, like I said, which side to identify with. They confused. You're really doing the child a disservice, and you're showing how much you hate your nation. Now, there's a flip side to this. Let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 26. Ecclesiastes 7, 26. And it reads, House thou a wife after thy mind. Forsake her not. So if you got a woman, you got a wife that thinks like you, man, don't leave her. You got you a good one. You got a wife that seems like she can read your mind. You come in the house from a long, hard day at work, and she like, baby, you want me to soak your feet? Ding, 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 ding. That's a winner. Baby, you want to rub your back? Ding, ding, ding. That's a winner. Wife out of your own mind. Tell your daughter, hey, girl, you shouldn't know you ain't wearing that. Mm-mm. You're revealing too much to her. Nope. Get, take, that, take that crap off. <laughs> Put something on more presentable. That's a wife out of your own mind. She's thinking like you. Ding, 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 ding. Keeper. That's a keeper. A wife that she understands the importance of family. She understands the roles and the importance of a husband, a father. She gets it. Keep her. Read this again. Please ask us. Chapter 7, verse 26. Has thou a wife after thy mind? Forsake her not. So you got that woman that thinks like you, that wants things done the way you want them done? So listen to this. But give not thyself over to a light woman. What's a light woman, though? Hmm. This is the definition of light. And I had to go all the way down to the adjective version of it to get the meaning. It says not heavy. Oh, so don't give yourself over to a woman that's not heavy, meaning what? She's simple-minded. She can't handle heavy things, heavy situations. You have to give her instructions on everything, even parenting. Why? Because she's light. If it's not heavy, containing less than the legal standard. <laughs> Of little importance, easily disturbed, 
easily endurable. She's not doable. She's not in it for the long the long haul. She's a fly by night. She's simple. Don't give yourself over to a simple woman. Cause you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be arguing. A lot of arguing. That song, uh, Yo Gotti Got Out, is an old one, y'all. And you had the chance to check it out. It's called Blah, Blah, Blah. <laughs> blah, Blah, Blah. He talked about him leaving his main chick because all she did was argue. This is the flip side I was talking about, y'all. So I know the Israelite women, specifically Judah, be mad when they see Israelite men go get them a nation. But y'all are the cause of it. Why? Because you're simple. Because your ass is light. Because you like arguing. Listen, your man, being a black or brown man, has to go out in Esau's world eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever shift they working, and deal with Esau BS. Deal with the world's BS. Do you really think they want to come home and have to deal with your... Let me calm down. Deal with your mess too? They already got the weight of the, of the world on their shoulders. Then they come home, which is supposed to be their sanctuary, supposed to be their peace. Supposed to be where they can chill, kick their shoes off, and relax, but nah, they got to argue with you now. They got to argue with your life self. The scripture says this. This is Proverbs 9.13. A foolish woman is clamorous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What does that big word mean, Thomas, huh? Clamorous. It means loud. Noisy, shouting. That's what it means to be clamorous. What are black and brown women known for? Being loud, shouting, arguing. You don't believe me? Go and watch them damn TV shows where they have uh, like an all-white cast. They got one sister on there, one black lady. And what she? what is she doing on the show? She's the loudest on the show. She's the most argumentative on the show. Like, I see some of these cooking shows, archive you watch these cooking shows. They have, like, all white people. They have this one heavyset Judite lady on there, and she I forget her name. She's loud. If y'all know the show I'm talking about, she on some cooking show. She's just loud as hell, man, and boisterous. I think they got one of them on some home improvement show, too. It's, it's funny, you always have at least one black lady on these all-white panels. And that's what the black lady's doing on every panel. She's the loudest. She's the most argumentative. Check some of these. I'm not making this stuff up, man. I know the one sister, I can't even call her a sister. She's a damn Oreo. She's on uh, first take. What is her damn name? Um, oh, man, I forget her name. 
y'all listening and y'all watch first take, y'all know what I'm talking about. What is her damn name? Anyway, she's a sister. But she be dragging black athletes through the mud. She bring up their criminal history when it's not even the topic of discussion. Put them on straight blast. Drag their name through the mud. She loves just dragging niggas through the mud. She loves it. It's like she get off on it, man. If y'all know her name, please send me her name. I can't believe I forget her damn name. Anyway, let me read this again. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. What does clamorous mean once again? Loud, noisy, shouting. She is simple. She's what? No, that's not her. ESPN first take. What is her damn name? Malika Andrews. That's her damn name. Her. Check her out, y'all. They always talking about it on social media how she's dragging brothers through the mud. Proverbs 9.10. I mean, sorry, 9.13. A foolish woman is clamorous, which means to be loud, shouting. She is simple. Now, remember what we just read in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 26. It says not to give yourself over to a light woman, a simple woman. So we're putting this all together in Proverbs. A clamorous woman is also a simple woman. This is why she's so damn argumentative. It says a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple, and she knows nothing. It says know it nothing. She don't know nothing. This is why she arguing. You don't know how to raise children. You don't know the value of having a father in the household. You don't know the value of having a man in the household. The load off. So you ain't got to make all these hard-ass decisions that you don't like making. To take the load off so you don't have to be by yourself. Frustrated because you by yourself. Because you got to do everything by yourself. You don't have to go through that. But the women that have this, got a man in the household, got a father in the household, and you steady arguing with him over how to raise his daughter, how to raise his son, how 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 your behavior should be. You arguing with him day and night. You don't appreciate it. You the reason niggas date nations. You the reason niggas marry nations. That's just the God's honest truth. Niggas is tired of arguing with you. Niggas is tired of your mouth. Niggas is tired because you want to run every damn thing. You know every damn thing. You're the reason. So when you, the next time you see a nigga with a white girl, don't get mad. Well, matter of fact, do get mad. But put the blame on where it really needs to go to, your ass. Look in the mirror. You the reason. You the reason. Now, I'm bringing this all up to say, no, I don't condone you, Jeezy, but I understand. I understand. I get it. I get it, brothers. I get it. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying you should do it, but I get it. 
But keep in mind, you're still showing your race that you hate them. Still showing your people that you hate them. You're showing your little niece, your little nephew, you hate them. You're showing your mama, you hate them. You're showing your daddy, you hate them. Why wouldn't you want somebody to look like you? Somebody who has the same emotions, the same mindset as you. Proverbs 14 and 1. Every wise woman builded her house. So a wise woman will build her house up. Not a light woman, a wise woman. What is wisdom? The correct application of knowledge. Making good decisions towards reaching the goal. A wise woman would do this. It says, but the foolish pluck it down with her hands. You destroy your house by all that damn arguing, by all the backhandedness, by all the I know better than you, nigga. Nigga, you dumb. Nigga, you don't know what you're doing. Nigga, 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 nigga. Pushing your man away to the arms of a nation is going to do what? Appreciate him. <laughs> you going to appreciate him. Tell him how awesome he is. Oh, you're awesome. <laughs> She's going to appreciate what you don't appreciate. I know you sisters got your jaws tight. Y'all don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. You know what Christ said? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What did Paul say? How I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you mm-hmm. the truth. Don't be mad at me. This is what the Bible's saying, man. This is reality. This is reality. Like I said, once again, to clarify, so y'all don't just be, ah, Tyler Pies condoning being with nations. No, Tyler Pies not. What Tyler Pies saying is, don't be a light woman. Saying is, brothers, yes, they always argue. Yes, they run in their damn mouth all the time. But endure. Endure for the greater good of the nation. Be a good example for the nation, y'all. That's what I'm saying. So I'm going to leave y'all with that. I want to transition over to the topic at hand, to the class, y'all, after this brief intermission.
right, y'all, we are back. All right, so last week, y'all, uh, I covered, we took a detour. I covered the paganism that got woven in into Christianity, for lack of a better term right now. Matter of fact, it got woven into the Bible. It has nothing to do with Christ. Um, and I had to cover that so I could explain and everybody could understand where a lot of this paganism comes from in religion and understanding also that the Most High never gave religion, okay? The Most High gave commandments, all right? You will not find any religion in the Bible, like I was going over last week. Uh, you have the Catholic Church, and then you have the Protestants, man. That's that's it. The Catholic Church, the Protestants, you got the Muslims. And they, the Muslim might as well uh, be uh, categorized as being Protestants also, man, because it's just another form of paganism. Anyway, I covered that last week, uh, took that detour in dealing with the death of Christ and how they uh, woven in Easter Sunday because that was the day Christ rose, and they made a big thing about that, and they tried to tie themselves to the Bible, to Christ by their paganism. But last week and the week before that, bringing out how that has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with Christ, now we're going to get back to the aftermath of Christ's death, Yahweh's death. So let's go to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Now, y'all, we're going to read. We're going to do a lot of reading, okay? We read this whole chapter, but it's, we're going to take some, um, some detours. All right, verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. So this is, this is uh, the angel speaking to them the two Marys that went to the sepulcher, then they go back and they tell everybody what they had witnessed, verse 10. And it was Mary Magdala and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to sink, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. So the disciples didn't believe that they had seen Yahweh Shah was no longer at the sepulchre, verse 12, or that they had seen the angel and spoke with the angel. They didn't believe any of this, verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes and lay, and lay by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. So Peter went to the sepulchre to check it out for himself. Verse 13, and behold, two of them 
went that same day to the village called Emus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So Christ was with them, but they didn't know that it was him. Verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? So Christ asked them, man, what are y'all talking about and why y'all sad? Verse 18. And the one of them whose name was Cleophas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? So he's like, man, you don't know what's been going on. You must be a stranger here. And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed, listen to this, Israel. Notice this didn't say the whole world. It says that they trusted, Israel trusted that, he should redeem Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So this was day three, y'all. Keep that in mind. Verse 22. Yea, and a certain woman also of our company made us astonished, which were which were early at his which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. So it wasn't just Peter that went. A group of them went to the sepulcher. Verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophet has spoken. So I want us to pay attention to this. During the time of Christ, what was Christ consistently arguing with the the Sadducees, the the Pharisees, and the other sects of Israel about? Him being the Messiah, him being the Savior, him being the Son of the Most High. We're finding out that some of the disciples, they didn't even believe. And they didn't believe, like he said, the prophets. The prophets meaning what we now know is the Old Testament, the records of the proofs that Christ was going to be the Savior of Israel and how he was going to die and be in the earth for three days and three nights, and then he would be resurrected. They didn't believe, the disciples didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah and that Christ would do the things he told them he was going to do. Verse 26, but not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory. Now remember, he's reasoning with, reasoning with the disciples after he appeared to them by way of what? The scriptures. This is why he said in verse 25, I'm going to read it again. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken. Like I said, meaning what? The Old Testament, verse 26. Are not Christ that have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Y'all see this? They didn't they didn't get it. Christ was pulling scriptures from he says Moses. So Moses, we know Moses wrote five books, the first five books of the old what we know is the Old Testament. So Christ went all through the books. Then it says the prophets. So he went through Ezekiel. He went through Isaiah. You know he was heavy in Isaiah. Isaiah speaks heavily about it. Jeremiah, um, Zechariah, Malachi, Micah. He went through the scriptures with the disciples. Now listen to this, verse 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. So they're kicking it with Christ. They're sitting down, eating, and then he just leaves. Verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and had appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. So the Simon is talking about verse 34, talking about Simon Peter, verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace unto you, which interpreted in Hebrew means shalom. <laughs> so Christ is in the middle of his shalom. It says, but they were terrified and afraid and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So this is Christ. Appearing almost simultaneously to his disciples. Verse 38. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Hearts talking about the mind, y'all. Behold my hand and my feet. That is in that is I'm sorry, that it is I myself. So he's saying, Man, look at my hands and my feet, which would imply which tells us that he still had the marks from the nails. Handle me and see, for my spirit had not flesh and bones, for a spirit had not flesh and bones. And yet see me, and, and ye see me. I'm sorry, let me read it again, verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit had not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. So he's saying, man, ain't no spirit got no flesh and bones. Because we know spirits are not bodies. There was the Bible refers to as apparitions. Verse 40. 
And when he had thus spoken, he shewed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? So he was hungry. And remember, they still didn't believe, verse 42. And they gave him a piece of royal fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So once again, Christ reminded them of the scriptures that speaks about him. Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So what were the disciples lacking? Understanding of the scripture, same thing we lack. The understanding of these scriptures. He was expounding to them that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of Israel. Verse 46, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day. See, he's letting them know these things are written. He showed them out of the scriptures. Verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. All right, now this is very important, y'all. So let's go, let's get the definition of what repentance is. I'm sorry, yeah, let's get repentance first, then we're going to get remission. And then we're going to jump to Daniel. I'm sorry, y'all, I meant to have this already ready. All right, it says repentance. The action, the process of repenting, especially for misdeeds or moral shortcomings. Come on, man. That's all y'all got? Let's go to synonyms there. Contritiveness, contrition, patience, regret, remorse, remorseful. So Christ said, and that remorse or regret of sin should be preached. And remember, that's what John the Baptist was also preaching. Now, let's get uh, remission. Stay with me, y'all. I promise y'all I'm going somewhere with this. All right. It says the act of the act or process of remitting a state of period during which something is remitted. Come on, y'all. Give me something better than that. Amnesty. I like that. Amnesty. These are synonyms. Amnesty, forgiveness, pardon. So repentance is contrition or remorse. It says and remission. So amnesty, forgiveness, pardon of sin should be preached in his name. Now, this is important. The repentance part, and we know uh, with repentance, there needs to be a change. There has to be a change. You can't keep doing you. So the so Christ came to give Israel a conscience to have some remorse about what they had done and changed and 
to be forgiven, to have amnesty for the sins that we had committed against the Most High. Now, this is consistent with the narrative of the Bible. Let's go to Daniel, the ninth chapter. Daniel chapter 9, y'all. And we're going to read verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation (laughs) for iniquity. What does reconciliation mean? We just read it. Remember Christ talked about remission? That means being forgiven. That means to be reconciled. That means to be pardoned. Reconciliation. This is synonymous with the narrative of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. I want us to understand this. The Israelites will go into a captivity, get ourselves right, the Most High will send a Savior, and reconcile us. He will pardon us for our transgressions. So even in the New Testament, and remember, this is what Christ was talking about. This is why he came. All right, I'm going to read this again in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, why does it say 70? Because Daniel was during the time of the Babylonian captivity and the Persian Mede captivity. Now, the Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years. So this is what he's talking about in verse 24. It lasted for 70 years until the Persian Medes came into power. And what did the Persian Medes under Cyrus the Great do? He sent back the Israelites to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city at Jerusalem, which the Babylonians had destroyed. Let's prove this. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. So Jeremiah chapter 29, and let's give verse 10, and it reads, For thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, at Babylon, once again, this is the Babylonian captivity. After 70 years to be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, good word, I'm sorry, my good word towards you and causing you to return to this place. This is what it's talking about in Daniel. Let's read it again, Daniel chapter 9. Verse 24, 70 weeks or 70 years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgressions. So we're punished 70 years for our transgressions in Babylon and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness 
and to seal up the vision and to anoint the most holy. Now, this goes right along. We just read in Luke. I'm going to read this again in Luke, chapter 24, verse 47. And that repentance, what's repentance again? A remorse, contrition, change. It says, and remission being what? Being reconciled, being pardoned. Of sin should be preached in his name. In whose name? In Yahweh Shah's name. Because he was the Savior that the Most High was going to send this particular time. So who did the Most High send back in the time of Jeremiah? He sent Zerubbabel. He sent um, Nehemiah and a couple of other brothers that he sent. And these are the brothers that went back to rebuild the temple that is talking about here in Daniel chapter 9. And I'm going to read on in verse 25. And understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. You see this, right? He says, for the going forth of the commandment. When did the commandment go forth? During the time of uh, Moses, the commandment was given. It says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, it says to restore and to build Jerusalem. And I'm sorry, this is actually talking about the commandments being reinstated under uh, Ezra, under Nehemiah. It says to restore and to build Jerusalem. And this is when they went back to do what? To rebuild the temple. And the verse before this said that 70 weeks was going to be accomplished because this is how you know it's talking about the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 25 again. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, because that was the commandment that uh, Cyrus uh, the Great had gave for the Israelites to return, and then in turn the brothers, Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, reinstated the commandments of the land, the Most High's law. It says to restore and to build Jerusalem, until the Messiah, the prince, shall be 70 weeks, and three score and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in uh, tr- uh, troublous times. So this is talking about the coming of Yahweh Shai and why he came. He was coming for the same purpose that Nehemiah, Rubabel, Ezra, uh, Nehemiah came for, to rebuild the temple, man. And Christ came for that same purpose. Us, of course, being that temple, and you can uh, cross-reference this, First uh, Corinthians chapter, what is it, 6, and hold on, let me get it. Sorry, y'all, a little rusty. Yeah, 619. 619 and 316, First Corinthians, us, about us being the temple. All right, back to the point. So we got that. Now, let's couple all of what we just got in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, with uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, Jeremiah 29 and 10. Let's couple all of this with Matthew chapter 1. This is how you know people don't read the Bible, man. Christ even talks about this. A, a second time, many times actually. 
Matthew talks about it. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David or 14 generations. The generations of who? The generations of the Israelites. Because verse 1 says what? The book of the gen- the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These were Israelites that they're mentioning in verse 1. And all from verse 1 all the way down, it's talking about Israelites. Israelite heritage. In particular, the in particular, the heritage of Yahushua, Jesus Christ. So by the time you get to verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David or 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon. Of 14 generations So from David's time And then Solomon The split of the kingdom Then the carrying away Into Babylon 14 generations It says And from the carrying away Into Babylon So the Babylonian captivity It says Until the time Or unto Christ Or 14 generations So this is These are historical accounts Of the Israelites Their captivities Their plights That they went through Alright And this is in Matthew chapter 1 People read completely over this, but all of this links together with what we just read in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. Let's go back there now. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and it reads, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Now, let's get the all nation part, man. Matter of fact, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Back up, back it up, back it up, back it up. Oh, I wanted to pull this too. So let's just read 47 again. I got another preacher for 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. All right, now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh-huh. And the reason I'm doing this is to show that repentance, uh, remission of sin, it only applies to Israel, y'all. It only applies to Israel. I know religion has taught y'all otherwise, but religion is off. We, we already proved that it's pagan any damn way, so why would you want to follow something that's pagan? If they got that wrong, then what else did they get wrong? I'm going to show y'all. So 1 Kings chapter 8, let's go to verse 40. It says, Hear thou heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee, as do thy people Israel. And that they may know that this house, which I have built it, is called by thy name. If thy people go out to battle against their enemies, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shall pray unto the pray unto the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen, the city being Jerusalem, it says, and toward the house that I have built for thy name, the temple. Then hear thou in heaven their prayer. Whose prayer? The Israelites' prayer. And their supplications, and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, who's the only nation that can sin anyway? The only nation that was given the commandments, according to Psalm chapter 147, verse 19 and 20. 
if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them. Now, how many times did we sin against the Most High? Countless of times. And because of our sin, the Most High put us in captivity. Now, listen, it says, and thou be angry with them. And the Most High was angry with us, put, in, put us in captivity. Now, listen, and deliver them to the, to the enemy so that they carry them away captives unto the land of their enemy, far or near. The Israelites have been in countless captivities. Verse 47, now listen to this. Yet, if they, if they shall bethink themselves in the land, whether they were carried captives and repent. Y'all see this? Ain't this what Christ said? Repentance? It says, and make supplications unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, we have sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness. Now, what is this? This is known as contrition. This is an admittance of guilt, also known as what? Repentance is what Christ talked about in Luke. Chapter uh, 24, verse 47, we was in. Same thing. This has been synonymous with us. This has been consistent with us all throughout the Bible. This is verse 48. And so return unto thee with all their heart. And that's what that's that's been the narrative of the Bible. We be blessed. We keep the most high commandments. We be living good, half the hog. We break his commandments, we sin. He be angry with us. He punish us, put us in captivity. Then he do what? We would get. We would come into our right mind. We would bethink ourselves. Say, hey, we tripping. We need to come together and pray to the Father. It says, and so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captives, and pray unto thee toward their land, which thou gave it unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Now listen to this. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplications in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause. And he would. And what would happen? Verse 50. And forgive thy people that have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions wherewith they have transgressed against thee, and give them compassion. Compassion by way of what? Sending a Savior. Before them who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they be thy people and thy inheritance, which thou brought forth out of Egypt. Because who was our Savior that brought us out of Egypt? Moses. From the midst of the furnace of iron, that thy eye may be open unto the unto the supplication of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people Israel, to hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thy inheritance, as thou spake it by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he rose from before the ark, I'm sorry, before the altar of the Lord 
from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. So this is a prayer that Solomon was sending up on behalf of our people that the Most High will forgive us and that the Most High would send a Savior. He would have compassion on us. And that's what it's been, man, all throughout the Bible. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Since we dealt with, matter of fact, let's read it again. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be, should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So repentance, remission of sin only applies to the Israelites. Well, I know you say what Thomas Pius says, all nations right there. It says beginning at Jerusalem. So let's deal with the all nations part. So let's go to Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 8. Esther chapter 3, verse 8. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the providences of thy kingdom. Now Ahasuerus was the king, one of the kings of the Persian Mede Empire. And they had basically conquered the, the whole known living world at this particular point. So you had Israelites that were scattered through all their providences. It says, I'm reading again, and Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the providences, providences, providences of the king, I'm sorry, of thy kingdom and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. So the nations also knew that Israelites were what? Were scattered. Scattered through all nations. So when it tells you in Luke chapter 24, verse 48, read this again. I'm sorry, verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Why say all nations? Because the Israelites were scattered. Through all nations, man. And even the nations knew this. I don't want us to get caught up on the terminology and what religion teaches us. Now let's get Psalm chapter 44, verse 11. Psalm chapter 44, verse 11. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat and hast scattered us among the heathen. The word heathen means nation. Because remember, Luke 24, verse 47, it says that Christ's name is going to be preached among all nations. But remember, 
Psalms chapter 44, verse 11, Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. The us is talking about the Israelites. So why was the word of Christ going to be preached among all nations or all heathen? Because the Israelites were scattered throughout all nations or all heathens. Let's get Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16, and it reads, Therefore say, thus said the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, or nations, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. And who was that sanctuary? Yahweh Shai. Yahweh man. The world calls Christ. Let's give Ezekiel 34 and 12. This is why Christ is being preached all throughout the nation because it was prophesied he was going to be that sanctuary. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in that day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. So this is a future prophecy talking about how the Most High is going to collect us like sheep. And who's going to be doing the collecting? Our shepherd, Yahweh Shai, also known as Jesus Christ. Let's prove it. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, and let's go to verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Zidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, so a woman from an African nation, said, came out of, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. She cried out to us. Listen to what Yahweh said. Listen to what Christ said. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right along what we just read in Ezekiel, because it talked about sheep being scattered. And here we find out that Christ is our shepherd that came for us. That came for the house of Israel And he's saying it himself He's only come for Israel No other nation, no other people, y'all So, y'all, I think this right here Is a good stopping place So let me mark my stopping place And we're going to definitely come back And deal with some other stuff in this chapter uh, Lord willing, next week, y'all so the water for everybody tuning in to the broadcast. I hope everybody got some edification, some understanding that maybe you uh, previously didn't previously didn't have of the Bible, man. Uh, the water for everybody tuning in, the water Mashaba for hooking up the broadcast. 
And the water, everybody, for y'all support and shout out to the 12 tribes that are scattered worldwide, man. And until next week, y'all, Lord willing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tug Pod. Tuesday. 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 Every Tuesday. With that, y'all, we're going to say shalom. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.